Welcome to the Sean Trey Show for everyone tuning in. Um, uh, I've got an awesome guest with me. Now, would you like to introduce yourself and tell people who you are and what you do? My name is Chris Finn. I work as the head of podcasts for a publishing company based in Scotland. It's a company with a very long heritage. We have uh, titles in our archive back in the 1700s. That's awesome. Um, but it's a very forward-looking company as well. Hence why I'm here uh, doing podcasts for the company. We have a folio of 14 different shows that we produce, most of them weekly. Uh, but in my personal life, I, I, I studied design at university. So I did graphic design at awesome. art college here. And so I really still enjoy that. I'm a parent to a six-year-old phenomenal chaos monkey. Mine as well, six. It's, it's, it's a chaos <laughs> monkey. That is an excellent way to describe the six. <laughs> yes. And so that keeps me occupied and keeps me out of trouble uh, when I'm not at work. And I'm actually, you're talking to me, I'm in, in the office today uh, in the UK here in Scotland in particular, the, the full COVID restrictions were only eased a couple of months ago. Oh, wow. um, and I'm finding myself in the office much more. Uh, but it's really nice to be back in a space where people can come together and create stuff. And although you can't see it on the video call that we're on to record this through Riverside, there's a little studio in front of me with four microphones set up and a broadcaster pro so we can bring people back around the table, which is an absolute joy. It's an right. intemperate delight to get people around the table again. I, I love I love Riverside FM and what they do and, and, and the service they provide and this, this it, it, you know, and it's like it, it, there was this massive shift, you know, like before before COVID, people, I mean, Zoom literally and, and Riverside literally were created at exactly. I mean, actually, I don't know when Zoom was created, but I mean, it it became on Zoom predates for sure. Yeah, it came on the scene. Like, I mean, it it had its day during that time where you know it goes from, um, you, you, what was it? There was this interesting thing where where uh, I forget what it's called, but there's a specific type of English a term for words that are nouns that turn into a verb. It's genericization. Okay. So like to Google something would be a perfect example of that, you know, and say, let's hop on a zoom would be, you know, kind of the new version of that, you know, it did become that generic term, even because obviously Skype had been around for a very long time before that. Apple users had FaceTime, but you're right. Zoom became the generic uh, very, very quickly. And to this day, I say to this day, it's only two years on, but to this day, I, I will, I mean, for work, we're all based on Microsoft Teams, yeah. but I, you know, the Zoom still is definitely that, that default. I will say though, do you find yourself the same, Sean? I, I get a slight sense of PTSD. I'm not minim minimizing that no. uh, condition, but I get a slight sense of that trauma when I see those grids of people's faces. Yes. I think we spent a very long time and all, all, all of our media was mediated through those kind, you know, we did all, people were doing, you know, lockdown parties or quizzes or whatever. And so, so much of our interpersonal um, engagement was conducted, conducted through that, that, you know, six by four grid of faces. And there's something I got, particularly because I work in audio as well, I find it really hard. I, I find it quite grating and wearing listening to, you know, shitty laptop audio yeah. and, you know, really bad echo cancellation cutting in and people can't and you get the sorry sorry what did you just say oh it's just no no you go you go you go and it just stresses me the hell out mm -hmm. no i feel you i i we one of the things that i had to do during covid because everything was locked down and one of the things that i love movies i love film i love cinema i really love it and so i had to build out my own little home home theater which it wasn't anything you know crazy but i had to have 
a good sound system, you know, and I, I realized my father-in-law had a nice set of pioneer speakers that he had just thrown in the attic. And I was like, whoa, you know, and then I found that there was a nice amp lying around and I was like, okay, so we're, and then I got the additional stuff I needed because having that, I couldn't watch any more movies through laptop speakers. It was just like, it was killing me. The, the video, the visuals were okay, but like, you know, there, there was that. Well, it's funny. I, I can't decide if part of the reason perhaps that, so I, I do work in audio and maybe that's what it is, but I, I wonder if we've gotten really good at doing video really well. Yes. Like, you know, pull, pull out a, a six-year-old iPhone and you're going to get some pretty, as long as there's enough light, you're going to get some pretty decent video out of it. But audio is still really hard. And of course, Part of that is because for audio, you've got to get the microphones really close to somebody's mouth. Yeah. And, you know, that's harder to do. But certainly, you know, silly things like, you know, videoing my... In fact, my, my six-year-old is really excited about doing gaming videos. So the other day, I took delivery of a green screen, a proper pull-up Elgato gaming green screen uh, to record some little gaming videos with her. Um, and I've really got to balance the parent in me that's just like, yes, kid, have a great time. You know, enjoy yourself. Make some fun stuff. To, to like, I've got to get the camera. Can I get a lav mic on her? How could I... <laughs> uh, so I've got, I've got to sort of, I've got, to, I've got to balance that. But, but I, I think that's that's so true. But that's where you have to think about where those experiential things are important. And I, so I've worked in publishing my whole career, a lot of that time in print publishing, and we're kind of past the peak of people de- uh, predicting the demise of print. But people still do, and we talk about the irrelevance of print, and that's definitely a concern, a consideration. But I think it would be foolish to say that, you know, all printed media is ever going to go away completely. But what it will do is it'll, be, it'll go away from becoming the mass market and mass communications medium. And it's gone away from that already. Yeah. Of course it has. Into a more sort of niche, high-end, experiential thing. And it's the same with movies. So my wife works for an independent cinema here in the city I'm in, in Dundee, in the northeast of Scotland. And, you know, we often have those, you know, around the dining table conversations about cinema and about the experience of cinema and what what can you do to market people to bring them into an art house cinema and you're it, it's going to be hard to get them to come in to watch you know popcorn pumped out movies yeah because you can do that really well at home really well at yeah. home but for that experience of, I went to see Cabaret, which is one of my favourite, the, the Joel Grey, Eliza Minnelli, Michael York thing. I went to go and see that recently. I, I, I rewatched The Big Lebowski in that cinema, and seeing that in a in a communal environment where everybody knows every beat, every line, no. that's an amazing thing. And finding find it where where you find that value, because I love sitting at home. I love my my telly, my sound system at home. But sometimes you want a different thing, and I think that can be a, a joyous thing as well. And I, I think that there's the the thing that people forget about with the cinema experience as well is the almost like that that communal. It's almost like you're in like this group meditation. It's this communal community experience. You know, I remember I remember watching one of the the places that I witnessed it the most, like just the entire audience in tune was with the Blair Witch Project. And like mm. when I watched that in the theater and it first came out and we were watching, it was in the middle of this intense, intense scene when suddenly the power in the theater cut out. The oh, whole no. theater went black. And like everyone was just 
mortified, you know, like, is this part of the experience? And then I screamed, are you effing kidding me? And the whole theater burst out laughing. Like, you know, guys, this is a release of tension. This is a bit extreme, but yeah, it was this release of tension and everyone in there started laughing. And it was just, you didn't realize how everyone was in the same tense state. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and you can see that for, um, a lot of great movies. And I mean, and I, I, I'm going back to like, you know, just anything that has this, um, this experience that people feel immersed in is, is what I would mm. describe a great movie as, because it doesn't have, I think that's, go ahead. I think that's true. I think as well, I, there is a, a real joy for me in seeing things that are well known. I remember going, when I was a student, I went to the cinema and for whatever reason, I think they hadn't been sent, the, it wouldn't have been reels, but they hadn't been sent the DSP, whatever they call the digital file. Yeah. Anyway, hadn't been sent it, couldn't show the film that was going to show, but they're like, we've we've got Back to the Future too, should we just put that on? Right. And it was joyous. Right. And nobody was expecting it, but of course it's such a, you know, the entire canon is, is, is fab. But... You know, having those experiences where everybody doesn't know what's coming can be very powerful. But those experiences where everybody does know what's coming, those can be really joyous. I remember years ago working with a publisher who was going to do a games site. And the point of the site was not to do what every other games site does, which is to talk about new releases and upcoming releases. But it was going to talk about Sonic and Mario. And it was going to go back and, you know, really dig into the sheer joy. And it's not, I think nostalgia can be quite a cheap word and people can get a a bit dismissive about it. It's not about the sort of rose-tinted halcyon days. It's just about, I still love these things. These things are still joyous and it's all got a lot to give. So let's let's dig in. I, I, I got my daughter hooked on it. I have a little Super Nintendo. And it's like the little new version of the Super Nintendo, the Super Nintendo Mini. And, um, you know, and I was like, I'm going to teach my daughter a little bit about video games. And I'm not a big gamer, but I loved my, my Nintendo and my Super Nintendo growing up. You know, I love my Sega. Mm. Oh, man, gosh, I want to get the Sega so I can get Sonic for it because she absolutely loves Sonic. Mm. But this child is now absolute beast at Mario Kart. And I mean, and it wasn't but six months ago that I tried to introduce her to it and she couldn't turn and she was crying. She kicks my butt now. Like... She's so good. And it, I was like, I'm, this game didn't get less fun. We've just changed our expectations, but the game mm. is still awesome. Yeah, no, that's really true. I'm still on the stage. We bought a Switch recently and my daughter is still at that stage of being a little frustrated Yeah, with the controls. But all my pals who've done the same sort of thing, I've gone, just like enjoy this time, Chris. <laughs> because in a small number of weeks you're not going to have any ability to beat her yeah I today was the first day that she I had been letting her win and trying to like you know give her a little bit of she legitimately I can't beat her on one level anymore and I was mm-hmm. blown away that she figured out every last shortcut shortcuts that I didn't know about and I was just like mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Because my daughter was like, so there's this one track. And this is a really interesting thing that I was really, really fascinated by. It was like the end of one of the, 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 the racetracks, the like the course, the circuits. Like they got four races you can do on Mario Kart. And yep. it's the fourth level. And there's these two. And this is a really interesting thing because this is something I always had a hard time with, right? So if you go straight and go over the rough area you can get to the turn faster. 
if you go over to the right, you can get the special things so you can shoot or drop a banana or shoot, you know, have some type of prize or reward. And my daughter really quickly figured out that she didn't need the rewards. If she went straight, she'd just kick my butt. And I was like really interested because that's like, that's a pretty advanced concept to, to, to bypass the gratification of, of a mm. treat or reward and realize I don't need it. And I was like, damn, I'm actually blown away that you figured that out. It's pretty mm. awesome. Like, it really is. I mean, and th- those moments are, are I mean, increasingly frequent apart from anything else, but, but just that they are again, very meaningful and exciting things because it makes it, you genuinely have a moment where you've been happily bumbling through life and then you go, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> you sort of turn around and look at yourself like, how did I not make that connection? I'm a smart person. But no, 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 no. takes a child to remind you. Right. Now let's go back. This has been fun conversation already. I'm enjoying this profoundly. Very fun. How did you find your path? How did you get into this career that you now are walking? I mean, I I would obviously, as I'm sure every guest would, um, start by saying I'm I have no path. Oh no! <laughs> not think... every guest has said that. That you are literally the <laughs> I, first person. I mean, it's certainly true. Obviously, there are a lot of people who are very driven and very focused, and they, they've got their five year plan. Um, but I think there's a, a bigger cohort of people who can draw a path for you from where they were to where they are and from where they are to where they might be. But I, I think, uh, without wishing to cast aspersions on former, on previous guests, I think you can retroactively tell that story that actually was never uh, written down ahead of time. And so joining those, those, those is, is easy. But I, whenever I have these conversations, which I have reasonably often, I, I will always s- try to directly address people who perhaps are foundering or who are younger or at an earlier stage in their career or who are disenfranchised in some way. Because I think it's very easy to look at. You know, I'm a cisgender, middle-class, middle-aged white guy in a media career. Hurrah! Well done, me. But I think um, getting to that place has been... Uh, difficult and and convoluted and lots and lots of fits and starts and, and weird areas. I said I did graphic design as a degree. I don't use my design degree per se. Um, and I think it's often, there's survivor bias, right? I think a lot of people yeah. can have that thing where they, they, they uh, talk about the, the, those things never did me any harm or it was really obvious I was going to do this. And I think that can be quite disenfranchising for, for particularly for younger folks. So uh, that's the preamble. The, on the, so the tell the story back angle is when I graduated from university, having done my design degree art school uh, here in Dundee, I, I like computers. I like tech. And I was a reader of a particular magazine in the summer after I graduated from uni. I saw they were asking for a, there, were, there was a job opening on the magazine and I have been in publishing ever since that was in t- 2002. And I'm here. Um, uh, another thing to, I will say to younger people as well is um, younger people often get told, you know, make your own, make your own future, make your own path, and forge your own way, plow your own furrow. But that can be incredibly hard to do, especially if yeah. you're not particularly confident or if you're from a marginalised or underrepresented community. It can be very, very, very hard to to find that path. 
Um, and I will remind them that uh, it was at 39, I think, it was the first time that I ever sort of took my career in hand and did something with it. So I'd been working for a, another uh, part of the company that I work for here in Scotland, and I'd made my own job redundant, which is a good trick if you can pull it off. Um, but I had at that point gone to our chief exec and said, I would like to do podcasts for DC Thompson. And here I am. But it took me, a cisgender, middle-aged, middle-class white guy with every privilege in the world. I'm queer, so I, I, you know, I've got some sort of sense of um, uh, that struggle for underrepresented groups. But apart from that, on every other axis, I've got every advantage. And yet it's still took me until 39 to go, I am going to do something proactive <laughs> with my career. Right. And so if you, if, so I think if people don't feel they can uh, take ownership of that journey, I think that's okay. Or rather, I think that's understandable. And I think most other people in the world feel like that. Remember that the stories you hear are often from the successful people who have, you know, made that tr transition into a successful career. Anyway, you don't hear about the, the people who didn't i want to i want I, I really want to write a self-help book that starts off with my life is currently in shambles and this is what i'm gonna do to try to get out of it because like you always hear these books about like there was there was one post i saw on linkedin yesterday and the guy was well, LinkedIn like LinkedIn can be quite toxic for this. oh my goodness and it was this guy and he was like I'm going to tell you about this financial thing. You know, he's like, first of all, you want to talk about how to get ahead financially? First of all, I refinance this home, first home, and then my second home, I do this, and then my third home, I do this. I was like, you have three homes. That's a nice, yep. that's a lot of leverage. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on anyone, but the person is coming from this place of privilege, this place mm. of, of, um, the dice have rolled in their favor in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Not saying that they haven't tried hard. Not saying they haven't worked hard. Not saying any of that. But, and I, and I love that, that, that point, that, that the path is we, <laughs> it's really easy to connect the dots. Look back and connect the dots and you see it was all coming together. It didn't feel like that at the time. It was like John Kabat-Zinn has um the, the 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 modern day meditation teacher has the great book full catastrophe living and i was like i love that title it's like that has been my life where mm. every last moment today was a beautiful day but it was full-blown full-bore chaos and i sat there and i looked at my friend and my friend, we were watching something and there was something came on that was like the secret. And he's like, you can manifest everything you want. That's what that person believes. And I said, that's great. But that doesn't mean it's going to make you happy. Happiness is, is this, this, this moment. And it's this choice to smile, that inward smile when everything, <laughs> you ever see that cartoon where it's got that character that's like in hell or where like the room's on fire. And this is fine. This is fine. That's happiness. I, I mean, I, as an elder millennial uh, Gen X crossover, I think in memes a lot of the time. And right. you know, when you're talking about the, when you're talking, when you're talking about the uh, houses, the guy's got three houses, and that's how he leverages his, his capital. 
uh, there is at least in the UK media the classic meme of somebody in the broadsheets here in the UK media will write a story about how they managed to afford their new home and there's always a point four or five paragraphs down where they mention the fact that their parents gave them 50 grand or whatever I've seen it was that. Yeah. and it's the Simpsons meme and it's to say, say the line say the line and then yay they said the line and, it's, and also you know the survivor bias thing is a really important thing I, you know there's that the famous uh image of a plane having returned from combat and the engineers had mapped uh, the bullet holes this is awesome i'm i would you please share this i've read this the other day and i, I oh, really? it was really interesting i was like oh my gosh that's so cool please 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 it's such an important image it's one of those ones really holding your head and, to, and apply it to so many so many things and also as soon as i've described it you'll recognize the image and when you see it coming up in your twitter feed or whatever you go oh chris was talking about that thing so it's a outline top down image of a, of a world war ii i think uh, it must have been two is it the plane 17 or something like that it was a bomber certainly covered in red bullet holes and the yeah. uh, um Defend the Allies went, okay, well, th- that's obviously where damage is being sustained. So let's armor those areas where those bullet points are, and then the plane will get back better. Um, forgetting that actually that plane still made it back. Yes. And so that plane could sustain damage in those areas and still fly its crew safely home. And it was actually those areas that hadn't got bullet points, bullet uh, holes in the bullet points. Jeez, too much corporate talk. Those plane, those areas that didn't have bullet holes in them on the plane that had returned back that were the fatal ones because those were the planes that didn't return back. Yeah. And that's a really important thing about survivor bias. When you, whenever you hear people talking about, you know, being slapped as a child didn't do me any harm or whatever, you're hearing from the guy who survived. Yeah. You're not hearing from the people who didn't make it because they endured something that was unendurable and they crumpled. There was a, there was a really interesting study that came out about the Battle of Britain. And they showed, and it was a study on um, <coughs> fear and this invincibility. <laughs> I'll wait for you. <laughs> it was a study on fear and like this, this feeling of perceived invincibility. And what it was is that they, they, they had said that when a bomb goes off, you have three different responses. Yep. Um, one is the person who's right next to the bomb and they die, <laughs> you know, then you have the person who's a little bit that's very far away and sees it. And they're like, Oh God, that was scary. And they kind of maintain a level of fear. But then there's the person who's right next to the, the person who died, but didn't die. And those people end up with this God complex too, that they feel like, you know, nothing can touch me. And it's not survivor bias, but it is also related to our perceptions are not always correct. Oh, yeah. You know, and the way we perceive things is, you ever see the, the old Japanese movie, Rashomon? Mm-hmm. And how it's all perception. And that, but that's why it's so important sometimes to be able to, in fact, not just sometimes, as often as possible, to get yourself outside of your frame of reference. So, um, one of the podcasts we produce is a lovely show called Walk to Wellbeing, in which we clip a little microphone onto a guest, they go for a walk, and they self interview themselves. We give them a series of prompt cards, and they take themselves through a, a, a sort of wellbeing exercise and reflect on their journey. And every person who does that we get to know them so well because they're on their own there's not a producer there there's not a presenter there 
they're just on their own. And that experience of somebody being quite vulnerable, being quite open and being in a place uh, that's comfortable for them where they walk regularly, you get to know them so, so well. One of the things we talked about in one of the episodes recently was um, it's so it's such a life hack. It's such an easy thing to do when you can, when you remember, when you're when the cortisol can be controlled, when somebody's being an asshole at you, just give yourself a second and go, what, what series of events, however preposterous, got them to that place where that was a reasonable thing for them to do, right. that it was internally consistent for them? Because nobody thinks they're an asshole inside. Right. Everybody always thinks they're doing things for the right thing. And that's always a, a useful, selfish um, exercise to do, I think, because uh, it takes, it calms my cortisol down. <laughs> it means I'm not responding to what I perceive as aggression. Because you've got, even if the, the reason you come up with in your head is is absolute nonsense, you've gotten yourself to a place where, oh, I can see, maybe that's where they are. Maybe they're having a bad day or maybe you know, I was the seventh person to do this to them in the day or whatever. It doesn't matter how ridiculous. If you can get yourself to that place, you go, okay, I can see where they're coming from. Yeah. I think that we also have been... I don't know whether it's media or um, not the media, but like just the way we consume media and the way we interact with each other. We have this really bad um, absence of empathy. I think that is, is extremely, you know, problematic. And you think social media would help because we see other people's stuff and struggles, but it doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to at all. Yeah, I, I I think a lot more perhaps than I should, but I think a lot, particularly about Twitter, which just tends to be the social network that I spend most time in and invest most time in, about the narrative around Twitter, which is toxic health site. It's uh, destroying democracy. It's undermining undermining the dignity in public discourse, and I think that's absolutely true. And I don't want to diminish. Uh, the concern about the way we've had toxicity bleeding into, particularly into public life. But I always say, for me, the part of the reason I spend so much time on Twitter is it's, it's, a, it's an absolutely joyous place for me where I follow. And it's to do with who you follow. I think that the algorithm and the suggested accounts and the recommended tweets and that sort of stuff can be, can, can move you in a place that's not great. But I follow a few hundred, three or four hundred uh, brilliant people. And right. every time I, I dip in, people are being vulnerable or they're talking about how things are going really badly <laughs> or they're sharing joy or they're sharing inspiration. And I think if you only engage with people who are sharing that um, that Instagram version of their life, let me come back to that argument in a sec, then you're only going to feel bad in retrospect. What I will say, though, to come back to that idea with Instagram things, I sometimes worry about the di- the, the narrative that says, Oh, you know, you only see the edited highlights of somebody's life. You are, but I don't think there's necessarily a mendacious uh, dimension to that. I don't think people are. I, I will post this picture because it will make feel people feel bad or envious or jealous of my life. Some will be, but I don't think most people are. Most people are sharing those those best bits of their life because they're they're happy about them and they want to share that joy. And I think as long as you remember that, I'm I'm guilty of it. I see you know people on holiday or people you know contemporaries getting promotions you know there's a bit of me that goes oh, I wish I, why, why is everybody 
everybody doing better than I am? Why has everybody got more possessions than I have? Why is everybody more fulfilled in their personal and creative and soulful lives than I am? Of course they're not. It's just that you, if you follow 300 people and one of them a day posts a happy thing, you'll see a year's worth of happy things. Um, but yeah, I think that can be challenging. I think uh, I think we need, a, we need to be better at um, in, uh, interrogating the stuff we see in social media. And again, putting yourself in the position of, you know, this person's not an asshole for sharing this, you know, avocado lunch they're having. They're just, they, they like their smashed avocado, man. They're in a good place. <laughs> And that's the thing too, is like, I, I think that, let me give an example. Um, my mom had a very moving tribute to her puppy that just passed away. And it was, you know, she, she had like four different photos. She put captions and everything. Bless her heart. She loved that pup, man. And it was this point where People could have looked at that and gone, dude, it's a dog, you know, it, why do you have to be, but what was really awesome was to see the outpouring of celebration of the life of this little pup. And it literally was, it was one of those restore my faith in humanity types of things because people from all walks of my mother's life that had known her for, you know, short time for a long time. We're making these beautiful comments. Sorry for your loss. And, you know, what a beautiful soul that you were able to journey with. It was, it was really beautiful. And I was just like, see, see that right there, that right there is what we as a society have to hope for, have to push for, because this Pandora is out of the box, but that doesn't mean that it cannot be something positive. It's up Absolutely. to us. I think as well, the I have a, 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 I regularly will jump on social media and just say buy your friend's stuff, and in a I sense like that. that's a ba- it's a bad thing to do because you're you're you know participating in a often unequal capitalist context that can be hyper damaging. Yeah. Of course it can, but also just buy your friend's stuff for two reasons. One, they're your friend, and so you like them, and so you'll probably like their stuff. If they've got a band and they put something up on Bandcamp and it's six bucks, drop the six bucks on your pal's right. debut EP. Um, but also do it because, <laughs> you know why, because it's a nice thing to do. Right. And because it can really make a difference, you know. Um, I, the other day, so I'm going in for a minor operation at the end of this month. And it's nothing dramatic, but it's under general anaesthetic. And I was like, oh, so I've got to take a, a dressing gown and pyjamas and that sort of stuff. And my dressing gown was really, really ratty i'm gonna buy another dress again couldn't find a nice one actually i could find really nice ones but they were all like three thousand dollars and i was like no <laughs> um but then i found a really nice one on etsy and the shipping date was quite late i messaged the seller i was like yeah can i can i would you, is there a possibility you could get it here by this date and uh she was like yeah sure we'll, we'll do our best and i'll speak to the seamstress and uh, so and then when it was dispatched she just said uh dressing gowns in its way I hope you come out of the hospital healthy, whole, and and healing. And you don't get that from Walmart, right? Right. <laughs> um, and and that's not so. I'm always slightly dubious about people who are terribly pious about these things. And you know, I shop on Amazon. I am not a saint, but I think uh, you know, buying your friend's stuff or buying from mom and pop shops or you know, you know, 
um, especially since we're in Pride Month, rather than buying a, a rainbow-themed uh, insulated mug from Starbucks, go and find a queer crea- creator in your uh, right. in your world who's because it makes a big difference, right? Six yeah. bucks is nothing to Starbucks, but it's everything to your pal because it, it, right. it can make a. It's not just a validation, but it, it literally is money that makes a difference in their life. Yeah, I I, I love that. It's like we have this spider web of connectivity that we can activate if we we want to, you know, and without getting into the shambles that is the American healthcare system. <laughs> Not going down that rabbit hole today. But when I see people who go on like GoFundMe or these other things when they need extra help, mm-hmm. it is a beautiful thing. I wish there was a better safety net for people. But without getting into that story, it is beautiful that you can see these networks that get activated and these people who are able to activate, you know, people for positivity. And that was one of the things that. I, I, I always respect the celebrities that use their influence for good because you have this platform and anyone who, anytime I hear that, uh, you know, you're an athlete, you're a celebrity, you shouldn't have an opinion. I'm like, man, come on. They are people, you know, and as long as they have out and they're, and this is the thing. My dad and I have, very different philosophical views and, and, and religious views and spirituality and all that. And I'm, I, I come to him at the end of the day and I said, do you think that I care about people? Do you think that I try to make other people's lives better? I, I, I hope that you do. And he's like, yeah, of course I do. I said, isn't that enough? At the end of the day, isn't that enough? Are people trying to better other people or are they not? You know? And at the end of the day, if people are, creating positivity that's where it's at to me and you're right that celebrities are often the ones with the reach and the influence to make those things uh happen and to move conversations in important ways so so we're recording this a few days after lizzo um re-released one of her songs that contained what a lot of people in the disabled community viewed as a slur and I'm, I'm not in the disabled community but i would agree i think it's a slur as well but it's for them to decide not for me as an able-bodied person and of course, there was a lot of uh, pushback. People going, ah, a load of nonsense. Pol- pol- political correctness gone mad. The woke snowflake mob. Um, there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And it's not for you to decide. It's not for you to decide. It's for the community who is hurt here to decide whether mm-hmm. or not they are hurt by th- these actions. And what was brilliant about that was w- when uh, she re-released the track, she put out a statement. And I, I know from disabled friends, people on social and just from imagining, <laughs> I know that that's going to make a big difference because that, you know, in a tiny way, but, in, you know, it, it's a, it's a not, 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 not 1% change in people's attitudes to disabled people, but across the world. And that's phenomenal. And, and you know that it's going to help the conversations that people have. Because, of course, you never solve things like discrimination and uh, injustice and intolerance and prejudice. You never solve those things at governmental <laughs> level. You solve it by being in the pub, being at a game, and your mate says something that you think's a bit off, and you 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 talk to them. Call them. You, you yeah. have a little. You just have a little. You're not an asshole about it. You don't you don't make a big thing of it. But you're just like you let them know somehow, whether it's explicit words or whether it's just. 
your reaction, you go, not okay. Let's move that conversation into a happier and more positive place. And 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 I think those those big moments from celebrities can help people, un, you know, un, uh, enfranchised, disenfranchised, and unempowered people to feel that they can move that conversation forward when they hit those interactions as well. And it means that you know, millions more people go. Maybe I shouldn't call people a spaz. You know, who yeah. knows? There was um. And you don't know the power that something has to make a, a shift. There was a this thing yesterday that I, I saw this little uh, pop up on, I don't know, remember which fan site it was, but it was talking about how Disney, and now we've got Spider-Man back in the Marvel Universe. And I, I, I am going to connect the dots here to Avery <laughs> between what we were just talking about in this. And, and I was like, I constantly crack up about Spider-Man being in the Marvel Universe. Well, how did that happen? Well, one thing. One thing. Seth Rogen's and James Franco's The Interview. Okay? And it was, knocking into James Franco, and that's a whole other can of worms. That movie ticked off Kim Jong-un so badly that he ordered... Sony hacked, which released the telephone conversations and internal emails of Sony, which caused a massive shakeup at their corporate office, which caused them to be seeking additional revenue because other releases were then leaked online by North Korea, which then caused the financial opportunity for Disney. Okay, whether it's good or bad, the simplest of things can have a butterfly effect. That triggers everything else. And so why bring that back? Anytime I see fans praising this, and I'm like, well, you've got this really <laughs> pretty much horrible movie that is everything to do with it, you know? And like, you don't realize what action is going to cause something much bigger to become a result of it, you know? Tom Holland in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a pretty big deal, you know? And those movies, whether you like them or not, it was groundbreaking, you know what I mean? Something small kicked off something else. And that, to me, is the thing that I think everyone should be recognizing it every single day. You know, because I, I, I worked as a teacher for a long time, teaching English while I lived in Southeast Asia. And I had students that came up to me 20 years later saying, this one thing that you said in class shaped my whole life and was one of the, the things that caused my whole career trajectory to change and change to a part of who I am. And I was like, I don't even remember saying that, but I'm sure glad I did, you know, and it was this, this powerful event. And I, I think that I'm coming back to what you were talking about, where we don't often think that we can move the needle. We don't often think that we can be that person that can create big change, but we sure as hell can. And we have to start remembering that and like you said in that situation in the bar or the pub or wherever you're at can you sit there and go yeah let's have a conversation and not alienate your friend mm. not make them feel afraid not make them feel you know like uh, you know like an outcast can you create dialogue and a conversation 
Although the flip argument to that, of course, and there's, you know, duality and everything. Flip argument to that, of course, is the Maya Angelou, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And oh, that's a good point. There's definitely an argument that you, you know, there'll be people in your life and you don't owe them, um, you don't owe them your soul and your, uh, your time to engage necessarily, especially if you're, you know, we, we, we see just now, particularly in the UK, but happening in the US as well, the demonization of trans people. And I plenty of trans friends who are just absolutely just exhausted trying to educate people about <laughs> basic human right. rights. Um, and there would definitely be an element, uh, people who you just go, at least for now, I am going to cut you out of my life. And, uh, and, and, I'm going to take that toxicity and that unpleasantness out of my life, or at least I'm going to radically reframe it in a way that um, I can, that is on my terms, because you you don't expect, you don't, you don't owe them that time. You know, the other, of course, <laughs> the other, as if she's only ever said two important things, but the other, my Angelou quote that comes to, to mind is that um, people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that's kind of yeah. what we're talking about when you're teaching. And I'm sure that, you know, the words you said and the words that are quoted back to you were important and relevant, but actually I suspect they're significantly less relevant to the fact that when you were doing that teaching in Southeast Asia, you were positioning yourself in a way that, was building people up and yeah. uh, making them feel more empowered and more able to take on challenges. One of the things too, I, I just something that popped into my head when you're let's imagine that conversation in the bar, right? Or the pub. And that person shows you their true colors. It might not be about that person. It might be about the two people watching. And I think that's what, because maybe that is their true colors. Maybe they're not going to change, but you saying something and that maybe you walking away and cutting that person out could be the thing that helps these two people see the light. You know what I mean? And I think that that's something also we got to remember. That's that, definitely true. And I, but I think that's also true. So, so <laughs> in this fictional pub that we populated, that's got the perpetrator right? saying something terrible and two on look calling a bar. <laughs> yeah. These two onlookers who are, who are watching your contention, which is correct. I agree. Is that your reaction to a person making terrible statement, um, that the two people watching will think, Oh, said terrible thing uh sean has gone no i've had enough of that and i've walked away and that's true and you and your point was um about showing the true colors and perhaps the other people will uh, take that on board as well however the other thing of course is the yeah. person who said the terrible thing in the first place might also not believe that or truly feel that or they might be battling demons of their own that has brought them yeah. to that position. We think particularly about people who are victims and survivors of uh, domestic abuse or of sexual abuse. And for them, a lot of the time, their reaction to stimuli will be aggressive and it will be out of, uh, out of context, the actions of an abuser. Yeah. And so it's impossible I come back to that thing of if you encounter somebody who's unpleasant, then try to get yourself into a place where you can draw a line that let them say the thing they said or do the things they did that must have felt reasonable inside their head. Because very often the things they're saying or the things they're doing are actually, I mean, 
and, and let's not talk in the abstract here. I do things and say things that are wildly unpleasant, often. And I feel yeah. intense shame afterwards, and I try to repair that rupture sometimes, often. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you can be a dick to anybody around you. And that's not necessarily necessarily because you yourself are a bad person or an unpleasant person. You might just be in a place where that felt like the reaction that made sense to you. Yeah, that makes it. That's a great point. Now, let me ask you this. If you could go back in time and give advice to your younger self, what, what advice would you give yourself? I would say... So I've been thinking, because I, I listen to the show, I understand this is a question you ask people. And I don't have a good answer for you. Right. And in part, that's because the answer will change day to day. But also because I, <laughs> I would, rather than saying something to younger me, I would quite like to give younger me a big cuddle. I'd like to give younger me a bit of a hug to tell younger me, you're doing great. Even if, as was the case, younger me was not doing great at all, um, either in my personal life or in the sense of, you know, making good choices. Because, you know, I, I just think <laughs> your younger self is always going to be like, yeah, whatever, granddad. <laughs> um, I don't think they'll listen to the advice anyway. And particularly as a parent, I feel this. Uh, you know, you have a daughter the same age. I think, you know, guiding, shaping that existence is an absolute joy, an absolute privilege. You get to see your kid figure out who they are in real time in front of you, which is a phenomenal privilege. But you can't tell them shit. I don't think right. you can necessarily tell a child, and whether that's yourself, you can't tell yourself something. But what do kids always need? They just always need love. They always need acceptance. They always need validation. They always need perhaps a little guidance, a little hand on the tiller, a little... Let's next time let's try this. But I don't think you can tell a kid anything. I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. I um I love my wife to death. I love her to pieces. But sometimes we just tick each other off. And we've got this picture. She's got this picture on the wall of her as a child. And she looks so much like my daughter. And or my daughter looks so much like her. And in those moments that I'm most ticked off, I will walk up to that photo. So I see that little, little girl version of her. And I just remember that that same person is inside and it softens me. And so I love the statement that you just want to go up and give, man, little me was scared constantly. And, you know, my parents did the best they knew how, but I really feel like we all need that, that, that love and that kindness. And I, I think that's one of the most insightful answers that I've had on, but to that question. So I love it. Thank you. I think there's a phen phenomenal book. If anybody is a parent or indeed has parents, i.e. everyone in the world, a phenomenal book by uh, a psychotherapist, Philippa Perry, called The Book You Wish Your Parents Dread. And then there's a subtitle in brackets, which I forget. It's a phenomenal book. It's the only parenting book I ever recommend because it's not really about, you know, teething and changing diapers or anything like that it's about the relationship you have with your kid and the point that perry makes in it is this is the only thing that matters in the time you have as a parent 
is that you have a relationship with your kid. And there's a few lines in it that are, that are phenomenal that, that always come into my head. One in particular I'll, I'll give you is the line, particularly talking about um, daughters, but about any kid, obviously. But of course, women are more at risk of uh, predatory behavior than boys are generally. And it's whenever your kid comes to you with a concern, however preposterous it is, you know, about a, a, a dolly not having a friend or I've only got 17 smarties or whatever, however silly that concern is, always validate it because you always want your kid to know they can come to you with anything because if they don't know that, then the first time a creep puts their hand up their skirt or whatever it happens to be, they won't come to you. And wow. I think it's, it's, that's a chilling moment, but I remember every, every you, any parent will recognize this, this thing of kids coming up to you with just like absolute bullshit, nonsense yeah. re concerns about nothing. You're saying, doesn't matter. Go away. No, you have to hunker down. You've got to look them in the eye. You've got to give them a cuddle. You've got to say that sucks. And honest to God, Sean, that's what everybody needs to hear, what everybody wants to hear. I don't care how old you are, I don't care how successful you are, I don't care how many millions you have in the bank. Everybody wants to hear. When something goes tits up, you want to hear, that sucks. I'm really sorry that happened. You're right to feel the way you feel. Come and have a cuddle. Let's have a chat about it or not. And then let's go on with our with our day. And that that validation of somebody's experience and, and somebody's reaction to a situation, I think it's so important. That's mic drop right there, but don't drop mics. They're expensive, but wow, man, that's, it just, you got me thinking and I'm going to try to apply that starting tomorrow. Cause that is, that is profound. Go read the book. Well, brother, I'll, I'm going to, I will, I'm going to order it from a local book supplier <laughs> that I can find it from. I really appreciate this entire conversation, man. And I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and, and, you know, some of your wisdom. It's awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Sean. Thank you for reaching out. Uh...